This is Floyd Hughes, pastor of Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. I just wanted to share about my new book, Act Like an E-Christian. The E stands for evangelical. And despite what you may have heard, evangelical Christianity has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with the reason the body of Christ exists, sharing the gospel. My book, a devotional based on the book of Acts, prayerfully encourages Christ followers to return to our evangelical roots of sharing the gospel with folks in our circles of influence. It's available on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle, and you can pick up a copy today. Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Um, this is one of those mornings where I want to start us off with prayer because just all the technical issues we've been having. So uh, I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads with me. God, we just lift up this entire celebration this morning to you. Pray that you are exalted uh, and pray that you overcome all the technical difficulties, but even if you don't, you allow us to overlook them so that we can give you all the praise and glory and honor that you are due. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. All right, so uh, I actually want to start this morning, before we get into anything else, by playing a game, because everyone loves games, right? Yeah. <laughs> So, um, how many people have played the game, what's it called, Two Truths and a Lie? Anyone ever played that? Yeah. It's where you share three things, two of them are true, one is a lie, and people have to guess which one is the lie. Uh, we're going to play a different version of that, something called Two Praises and a Frustration. All right? I'm going to share three things, and you're not going to have to guess which is which. You're going to know which is the praise, you're going to know which is the frustration. All right, so the first thing is I shared with you guys a couple of weeks ago um, how when I went to air assault school, how I had to like crawl across the floor. People laughed at me and then I rappelled down all because I wanted the air assault t-shirt, not because I wanted to be a great soldier. I just wanted the t-shirt, right? And I didn't get the t-shirt even though I graduated air assault school. Um, and I even tried to order the t-shirt online and it was always out of stock. And the last time I tried, right before I shared with you guys a few weeks ago, they said, it'll be here in November. And I was like, all right, that'll make a great Christmas gift. And then I got a notice from Amazon that it's not going to be here in November. It actually arrived. So I was happy, and I gave praise to God for that. I know that seems kind of cheesy. And to be totally honest, I didn't first give praise to God. First, I made a TikTok video about it. Then I gave praise to God about it. And thank God, because I have been waiting for that shirt for years. That little helicopter on there, I don't know if you can see it. It's the same one that you wear on your uniform, uh, and they give you what's called blood wings. They don't just pin it on. They take the back off, stick it there, and the air assault instructor punches it into your chest. And I was like, yeah, I don't care about the blood wings. I want the shirt. But they were out of the shirts. Now I have the shirt. So I'm happy about that. Uh, second thing, also a praise, is that we're collecting warm socks. Uh, there's a person within Jefferson Hills who took this upon herself to say, let's collect bunches of socks to donate to people in need, and they're going to be distributed through a light of life downtown. And here's what I want to do. I know some people have already bought in socks. Uh, there's two options. You can either bring in socks 
And then next weekend will be our last weekend, because that's the last weekend before the 31st. Or we can wait till the 31st, and she might even be willing to wait until then. So over the next two weekends, we're going to, if you want to go out, you don't have to, buy some packages of warm socks. Men's, women's, kids, small size. Don't buy the thin, you know, uh, low ankle socks, because those are useless for people during the winter. Uh, buy warm socks. Or if you don't want to go buy socks, what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave this silver offering plate. Think silver equals socks. So if you're, if you're looking and you're like, oh, I want to drop off my offering, and you're like, which one do I use? The silver one is for socks. The other ones are not. Keep that rhyme in your head. Silver socks, others not. All right? That's going to be up here for the next couple of weeks. Uh, you can drop money in there, and then we'll take whatever cash you give, and we will go buy packages of socks. So uh, again, that's obviously not a frustration. It's a praise to be able to help other people. The next one is a frustration. Um, and I've shared this with some of you. Some of you kind of responded to me. Uh, Larry had a big response about this because when we went to go get the loan for the parking lot, before we went to the bank, we went to our denominational affiliation has a financial arm that gives out loans. That's what they do. They don't give out just here's money, they give out loans. Uh, they use the interest they get from the loan to plant churches around the world, right? So which is why we're like, hey, instead of our interest going to make someone rich, let's see it go towards a good choice. So we went to our denominational um, financial arm called the Cornerstone Fund. And what they told Larry was, your loan isn't big enough for us to help you. And I get what they meant, but what we heard was, you're too small for us to help you. And that was very frustrating because the idea is most, not just in that denomination, most churches in the world, they have uh, smaller churches, big mega churches. That's the oddity. That's not the norm. Uh, I think it's the last statistic that was done prior to COVID was some 75 to 80% of the congregations in America, less than 100 people, small churches. The idea that them saying we can't help you was extremely frustrating. So I sent it uh, just last week, once we got on the other side, everything done, parking lot done, I sent an email to them, uh, to the director of lending and to our executive director who's in charge of uh, converge mid-Atlantic, all of the congregations within the mid-Atlantic region, sharing my frustration, especially because we were treated so badly by the, the banks, and you guys don't know this, but at one point, um, the manager called Larry and I into her office to apologize to us for how we were treated by the bank as a whole. At the same time, <laughs> Larry had to apologize to her because he unleashed on her, the loan officer, and a bunch of other people at how we were treated. Um, and I'm just praising God it was Larry and not Sharon because that would have been really ugly. But he apologized to them. We, they, they apologized to us. It was all good. But it was very frustrating. And I shared this with our financial arm of Converge and said, 
It doesn't make sense to me. I understand you guys have a business model, right? I've consulted uh, with the government. I've, I've, I've worked in the telecom industry as an executive for years before I was a pastor. I understand it's a business model and that you guys have to adhere to that. But it doesn't make sense if the majority of congregations are small while you're only willing to help large churches who need like 100,000 or 200,000 to build a new building when there's so many churches who need to put on a new roof repave the parking lot, get a sound system, or just renovate the building. And their response, our executive director responded to me within like 20 minutes of the email going out, and he said, hey, Floyd, this has been a problem for years. You're not the first. Uh, since he is now the executive director, he's escalated that to converge worldwide, and they are looking at it and trying to find a way to make that model work for small churches. And then yesterday, the director of lending got back to me, and he explained that one of the problems they have is even with a loan of like, say, $35,000, $50,000, because they're a small lending agency, they have to tack on so many fees and finances. With the bank, I think we paid, and Larry, if you're online, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe $1,000, $2,000 in fees. With them, it would have been six dollars to $12,000 for the same amount. So they're trying to rework the model. They're trying to make it work. They understand that they need to be available to small churches. They understand that small churches need the same thing. And not everyone's trying to build a new building. Some people are just trying to keep the one they have working. So they're working on it. But I'm still frustrated about it. So with that being said, I'm going to ask you to bow your head. God, we want to uh, pray for um, Converge as a whole. We want to pray that you would use them in a way that brings glory and honor to you. And we thank God that there is an organization that uses the financial resources to plant churches, but we also pray that they would use it to help all churches. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And before I move on, I have to share this. Although I'm frustrated with the funding side, I'm not frustrated with Converge Worldwide. I don't want to kind of like cast shade on our denomination because they do wonderful things. And I think I shared this with you guys months ago that during the pandemic, when churches were closing and not meeting, they launched 40 new churches in 2020 around the nation. 40 new churches of places of Bible-believing, spirit-filled, God-honoring places that are trying to equip people to share the gospel. So I'm not casting shade on our denomination just frustrated with the financial arm and all the finances and all that being said. I just want to pray for the offering. God, we thank you so much that we do have the ability to give back even just a small portion of what you give to us. We pray that you, again, not just with our time, uh, not just with our financial resources, but with everything that we give, we pray it brings glory and honor to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. A few weeks ago, um, when fall started, we were talking about all of the seasons that come along with the start uh, of fall, all the seasons that go along with the start of fall, and uh, just a quick recap, because we're talking about football season starts in fall, fall TV season, right, all the TV shows that come back, pumpkin everything season, flannel everything season, well represented around the room right? Uh, uh, political season, because, you know, the election's coming up, so definitely pray and then vote. All of these things start with fall, uh, but one thing specifically, more than just the fall TV season, is once you get into fall, 
you start the premiere of the Hallmark holiday movie season, right? And um, I know none of the guys in the room are going to raise their hand and say, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. We just kind of sit in the background while it's on and pretend like we're not watching, but we do. But the reason why everyone loves the Hallmark holiday movies is because they provide hope. They always point towards the positive things. The girl always finds whatever she's looking for, whether it's marriage or job or children or whatever. It always ends positively, right? Whether it's Christmas, Thanksgiving, Halloween, or a natural disaster. Always ends positively. So it always points to hope. And right now, we're kind of walking through the book of Lamentations. And in the book of Lamentations, I said, uh, it's focusing on the consequences of our sins, Right? Jeremiah, who's the prophet who wrote the book of Lamentations, is talking about it. But then in the midst of all of his pain and grief that he's sharing about the consequences of sin, he focuses on hope and the fact that our hope is in God. And he starts, again, we talked about how he preached to the nation of Israel for like over 40 years, how they need to repent from your sin, repent from your sin. There's going to be consequences. God is going to destroy this nation if we don't repent from our sins. No one listened. And then after that, he had to watch them deal with the consequences of their sin as the nation was overrun. And then as um, it is so hard to preach right now because all I smell is barbecue. I'm sorry. I'm like so distracted. It's every breath I take is like barbecue. So uh, yeah, just bear with me. Okay. So he watched, I was about to talk about, he watched it burn to the ground, but I was going to say he watched it barbecue. <laughs> bear with me. So uh, yeah, he watched the nation of Israel, the, uh, the his city burn to the ground and he watched them deal with the consequences of their sin. But then after, you know, we walk through a couple of chapters where he pours out his grief and his anguish at the consequences for their sin. But then he focuses on, hey, but there is still hope for his people and for the world. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to put all the verses up here on screen and just kind of walk through them quickly, right? So uh, in Lamentations chapter 3, he says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. So he's attesting, hey, I watched as the nation was destroyed. I know it was God that did it. I watched as the people had to bear with the consequences of their sin, right? Dropping down to verse 14, he says, I became the laughingstock of all my people. And then he says, they mock me in song all day long. Right? He says, I became the laughingstock because people ridiculed him and laughed at him when he was saying, hey, we need to get right with God. And he says, they mock me in song all day long. And a lot of theologians believe this has two meanings. One, yeah, they probably did make fun about him. But also that once the nation of Israel was carried off into captivity, they mocked him as well because they said, where is your God now? Right? So, yeah. Before the nation fell, they made fun of him, they ridiculed him. After the nation fell, they mocked him as well because he was still preaching, hey, we need to, we need to commit to God, we need to trust God despite the circumstances. And the same is true today. There are people who look at everything going in the world and how many people, you don't have to raise your hand, have heard people ask you this, where is your God now? During the pandemic, inflation, people losing their jobs, all of this stuff, where's your God? And he has an answer. He says this. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. 
I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. So he's attesting, hey, I know what it's like. I've, I've watched the people suffered. I've dealt with uh, my nation falling apart. He literally had to watch as enemy soldiers came in and slaughtered people. And I won't go into detail about the nasty, uh, just violent things that they did to the people. And he had to watch that. And he said, my soul is downcast within me. And many theologians believe that he was bordering on depression and suicide. But he said, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And we read this verse earlier. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait on him. And people will often say, well, yeah, those you guys who preach about loving God and loving this, that's great because you're not going through anything, which is not true. Many of us have family members who uh, uh, came down with COVID. Uh, Many of us have friends and family members, I know I do, who didn't make it because of COVID. Many of us have family members who lost their jobs, who, who, who are hurting financially, who are dealing with anxiety and all kind of stuff. And he says, hey, despite all that, I'm still going to put my faith and my hope and my trust in God. And he says, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So I want to share with you quickly just three things. Um, and these are like, I know, pastors always say, here's three things, and you're supposed to write down these three things and do these three things. But if you go to church every Sunday, three times 52 is over 150 things. That's not the idea. The idea is that you find what in this that you can identify with, and when you find yourself in a position like Jeremiah, where you're, you're losing hope, where you're struggling, where you're dealing with a lot of things that bringing on depression, anxiety, and hopelessness, that you just remember and pull one of these things and say, here's why I'm going to continue to put my hope and faith in God. So first and foremost, he says this. He says, our hope is in God. Because God is faithful. And in verse 23, we just said, he said, great is your faithfulness, right? So God is faithful. God is going to do whatever God said that God is going to do. He can't do otherwise because he's God. Uh, And and to expound on that a a little bit, this is what Paul writes to Timothy. We've gone through 1 Timothy and and Titus. We haven't gone through 2 Timothy. He says, here's the trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. And what this means is, if we, not that we have to physically die, but that if we do what Jesus did, which is totally surrender ourselves to God, and, and, and the term they use is death to self, so that we can live for God. Like, I'm willing to say, hey, God, whatever you want for me, I'm going to put all my desires aside so that I can do and live for you, then we will live with him. And he goes on and he says, if we do that, if we endure we will also reign with them. Because when we do that, that means we are short eternity with God. He says, but if we disown him, he will disown us. And this is not me trying to make a take on, you know, once saved, can you lose your salvation, all that. But this is me saying that Paul said that if we, he's writing this to Christians, if we disown God, then God's not going to force us into a relationship with him. 
He's not going to kidnap us and drag us kicking and screaming to heaven when we say we want nothing to do with you. If we disown him, which is what the nation of Israel did when they said we choose to just do our sins, we don't want to turn from our sin and get right with you, then God said, okay, I'm out. And then the enemy came in and destroyed them. He says if we disown him, he will disown us. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful. To disown him means, hey, I want nothing to do with him. And if you make that choice, according to Paul, God says, okay, that's fine. Then I want nothing to do with you. But there are times when it's not that we disown him, but we're struggling to have faith in him. When we see what's happening in the world, when we see the way people treat other people, when we see, uh, uh, and this isn't a political statement, regardless of which political parties in power, when we see some of the actions that our government does and the ramifications on people and communities, it's hard to have that level of faith that says, I'm just going to trust God no matter what. But what he says is even when we're struggling in our faith, God is still faithful to us. He still keeps his word to us. So he says, our hope is in God because God is faithful. He also says, our hope is in God because God is good to those who put their hope in him. And we have a a different understanding of good than what God does, right? So God's understanding of good is this. In Mark chapter 10, uh, Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him, said, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Now we know in context that the, uh, Jesus went on to explain to him about the commandments and all that stuff. But what he says here is a statement that we tend to overlook. Jesus said there is no one good except God. We look at people and say, yeah, you're a good parent, you're a good teacher, you're a good cop, you're a good preacher, you're a good this, you're a good that. Because that's the way we kind of understand things. God's understanding of good is this. There is a moral line of what's good and everything on the other side of that line is not. From God's perspective, he is the only thing on this side of the line of what's morally good. God is the the standard of what's morally good. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, if you're saying that I'm a good teacher then you're saying that I'm that standard of moral goodness and you're equating me with God because the only moral standard is God, right? Now, for most of us, we all consider ourselves good people, right? We've we've never, you know, and list off the things that say you've never done that makes you a good person. God looks at us And he says, sinner, 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 sin, 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 separated from me, not good. But then he does a good thing and says, I'm going to make it possible because you can't transcend this moral line on your own. I'm going to make it possible. So I'm going to die for you so that now, instead of me having to look at you and say, you're not good, I look at you and see the goodness of my son, Jesus Christ. Because he is also, as God, that moral standard. And just, I'm going to put this up in another version, because some people, when I've shared this with people before, they're like, well, that's your interpretation. No, that's the language that's used and the way it's meant to be interpreted. If you read it in the Amplified Version, it says, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him, knelt before him, and asked him, teacher, you are essentially and perfectly morally good. 
what must I do to inherit eternal life? That is to partake of eternal salvation in the Messiah's kingdom. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me essentially and perfectly morally good? Because there is no one essentially and perfectly morally good except God alone. And because God is that standard of moral righteousness, then God can always do good to others. We struggle to do good to others. It's in God's nature. His default setting is to do good to others because he is good, right? So God is faithful, God is good, and God is also our salvation, right? And uh, Jeremiah... Uh, he wrote this sitting in a cave, and many theologians uh, believe uh, that, well, let me put it this way. Many people find it difficult to believe that people in the Old Testament experience the same salvation that we do. But when Jeremiah was sitting in a cave and he said, God is our salvation, the same way that we, in order to be saved, look back to what Jesus Christ did on the cross, and that's what saves us. He looked forward to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We look back 2,000 years ago, put our faith in that act. He looked forward to it, even though it wasn't going to happen for hundreds of years, and put his faith in it. And uh, I love the way that Peter puts it. As Luke records in the book of Acts, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is no other way to heaven. There is no other way to do it. There is no act that can do it. There is no other God that can do it. The only way to be saved, to experience salvation, is from a good God who is faithful to us. And because of that, we can faithfully put our hope in Jesus Christ. And just like Jeremiah you know, wrote this so that future people and generations could see this and read this and have hope in God, we, the church today, we're supposed to share this with people so that future generations and so that even the people now can have hope in God because we're the only hope this world has, All right? So um, I'm going to ask, uh, where are they? They're in the back. I'm going to ask Brandon and Lene. Oh, there's Brandon. Okay. I'm going to ask Brandon and Lene to come up. Because one of the ways that we share this is by sharing this with up-and-coming generations. And the last time we did this was in December for Rita and Caden. Uh, This morning, we're going to do a baby dedication for Roscoe. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's in essence us as a family of faith committing to join with this family as they commit to love and raise Roscoe. So I'm going to ask them to come up here. So yeah, you guys just stand right there. Great. And just as we commit, uh, I'm going to ask you guys to do something in a minute, but just as we commit to put our faith and hope in Christ, we come together now with Brandon and Lene, and even though she's not up here with Rita because she's a part of the family. Is she asleep? She just heard her name and I woke her up. (laughs) Okay. Uh, 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 As their community of faith to provide hope for Roscoe. So when God was sharing his will 
for his people through Moses. He commanded that it be shared with children as well. Uh, In Deuteronomy, this is what it says, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And he also said, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, when you go to the zoo, when you're riding in the car, when you're laying them down for a nap, when they get older and you're teaching them how to ride a bike, when they go to school and they experience hurt and bullying, when they're asking questions about their first love, yeah, that's going to happen, <laughs> and when they're dealing with hurt from their first love, we're supposed to share this with them so that they have an understanding of how good God is. So I'm going to ask you guys, Brandon and Lynette, do you commit to love God and to teach Roscoe to do the same? Do you commit to model for Roscoe what it means to love one another and to love others in a way that honors God? Do you commit to walk in community with this congregation to help provide a community of faith and love for Roscoe? And I'm going to ask grandparents and other family members, would you guys stand just where you are? Other, yeah, your other family. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to ask you guys, do you commit to do whatever it takes to help Brandon and Lene provide a God-honoring home filled with God's love and with their love for Roscoe? Yes. Now I'm going to ask the rest of the congregation if you guys could stand. Because as a community of faith, it's not just on them, it's also on us, not that we get to critique or criticize their parenting, but we get to become resources to help them in any way possible. So I'm going to ask you guys to read this together with me. Ready? We commit to stand by this family, to love them, encourage them, and support them, and to be there for them as they commit to love and raise Roscoe. All right, so I'm just going to pray for them, and then we will be done. I'm going to step over here. God, we lift up Brandon, Lene, Roscoe, and Rita to you. We pray for this family. We pray that you would share and show your love to them consistently as they raise their children. We pray that you would use them as a resource of your love. We pray that you would use us as a resource for them, and we pray that you would bless them immensely give them strength, your peace, your wisdom, your insight, and your courage so that they can be a blessing to Roscoe and so that he can be a blessing to you and to others. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and everyone said, amen, amen, amen. Thank you, guys. Um, We were going to sing, but we've gone a little bit long, and I cannot get the smell of barbecue out of my head, and I'm hungry now. So uh, I'm going to pray for the food, and then we're going to just all... Uh, share some food together. God, we thank you for all your blessings. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for the food that you provide. Thank you for everyone who showed up. Thank you for this community of faith. Pray that as we sit and break bread together, that we do it as people committed to love one another and to love you. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. Uh, Thank you guys. Pray that you have an awesome rest of your Sunday. Feel free to... uh, Grab a chair, grab some food, and God bless. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage, 
crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you and God bless.